We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. My name is Warren Gooman. Um, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to minister the Word of God uh, to you today. Just before we uh, head on into this uh, new series, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, which I was very blessed. I, I see that as a great privilege to grow up in a Christian family. You, you get those values of who God is instilled in your life. And, um, you know, it, lots of good things were taught to me as a child. And one of those things that I realized as I headed into my teenage years is that I needed for the, the faith of my parents to become my faith. I needed to make that decision, is, is this something that I'm all into or not? And as I looked at the Christian faith, it appeared to me, it was a church that I grew up in, it appeared to me to be a lot about the rules. And then I went to a, a camp as a young person and Someone said, uh, it's actually all about a relationship with God. And that just blew me away. I was just like, what? Like, you can have a relationship with God? You can talk to God and he can talk to you? And, you know, there is this relationship that God wants to have? And that completely transformed my life. When I embraced that, when I sought that out, I came to know God in a real way, in a, in a life-giving way, in a, in a way that wasn't just about the rules that I had to follow or the rituals that we did as a family, but this became personal for me. It became real for me. And as I looked into the scriptures, as I read the Gospels, I saw that the disciples went on the same journey. Remember the disciples before, when they were fishermen and doing other things, they were still religious people. They went to church every, well, for them, every Friday night, Saturday. But, you know, for them, they were, they were committed Jewish people. They were committed to faith in God. They were committed to the rules that went along with that religion. And then they met Jesus. And they went, whoa, there's something different about Jesus. The way he talks to God is totally different. The way he interacts with people is totally different. It's life-giving. It's like there's a relationship that he has with God. We need that. Let me give you an example of this. This is a, a passage that obviously stood out to the Apostle John, one of the disciples. And so he recorded it in his gospel. But when I read it, it stood out to me as well. John chapter 5, verse 16. We read this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In other words, there were people around Jesus going, we know you're a religious teacher. We know that you, know, you follow all the rules. But why aren't you following the rules, these rules? This is, this is really important. And in his defense, Jesus said this, my father, very personal, not just God, but my father, is always at work and to this very day, I too am working. Now, they didn't miss what Jesus was saying here. They picked up on that. Jesus was saying, hey, I have this intimate, personal relationship with God. I see what my Father's doing. I hear from him. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking their rules about the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father making himself equal 
with God. So Jesus gave them this answer. He kept on pushing them out a bit further. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. This is... This, this scripture deeply impacted me. Why? Because it revealed that Jesus did everything out of a relationship with his Father. Everything in his life, his whole ministry, how he lived his life, flowed out of that relationship. His prayer, he, in his prayer, he connected deeply with God. He heard from God. He got clarity from God as to what God wanted him to do. And then he went out and he, and he did it. And the disciples saw this too. And so they come to Jesus and say, hey, we want a relationship with God like that. And we can see that you pray. So teach us how to pray. The disciples observed how personal, how powerful, how effective Jesus' prayer was. Because he went around healing people. He did miracles. There was, there was obvious evidence that Jesus had connected with God. So they're going, hey, we want that as well. So teach us, how do we do that? And so the next few weeks, we're going to look at exactly that. How we pray. Not just that we pray. The disciples already prayed, and I hope that you already pray. My, the, the, the focus of the next few weeks is how do we pray? How do we pray in a way that takes us deeper into God? How do we pray in a way that is powerful and effective? Wouldn't, don't we all want that? Don't we all want to be walking closely with God and Him changing us deeply, and then that change in us affecting the world around us. So we're calling this series Praying for a Change. The, the change in us and the change in the world around us. Or if you don't pray yet, maybe it's praying for a change in, in a slightly different way of looking at that. Bit of a dual meaning going on there. And Jesus was very clear on the specific attitudes and the approaches that we're to take to prayer that will make a difference. So we're going to dive into that today. And the Bible's very clear on this point, and Jesus was very clear on this point, that God wants to bring his life here on planet Earth. He wants his kingdom to come. Do you agree with that? Are we cool on that? Because, you know, we've just got to establish that we've got the right theology here. So God wants to bring his life. That's, that's why he came. Like that's the, the basis of the Christian faith is that Jesus came to us to bring life, to bring his life, to bring heaven to earth. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because God wants to bring his kingdom to us, right? He wants to bring his life to us. Every one of us individually and then as, as a whole world, he wants to pour out his life to us. So the question is, if that be the case, and most of you agreed with that statement, if that be the case, what's stopping it happening? What's stopping God's life coming to you, if that's what God wants? What's stopping God's life coming to those around you, if that's what God wants? There's no, no barrier at God's end, so is there a barrier at our end? Well, Jesus says, yes, there is. Here we go. Matthew 16. 
Jesus says to the disciples, Matthew 16, 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple or a follower of mine must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There it is, right there. Jesus lays it all out. What's the greatest barrier to God's life coming to you? It's you. (laughs) I'm the problem. You're the problem. The greatest problem is us. The greatest problem is, or specifically, the agenda that we set for our lives. We have a vision for our lives. We think this is how life's going to work out today or this week or this year or however, whatever. And Jesus says, you know, all of that, all your dreams, all your desires, all that you want for your life, kill that. Oh, hang on, hang on, God, what? You know, what's going on here? We surrender that. We give up our lives to receive his life. Let me give you an example of this, just a a small example of this um, that is hopefully being part of of your Christian journey is that Jesus on the cross, and what we celebrated at Easter, is that when we repent of our sin, if we turn from our ways, doing life our way, and choose to do God's way, we ask forgiveness for our sins, right? We ask forgiveness for living for ourselves. And now, did God always want to bring his life and bring his freedom from sin and all that sort of thing to us before we ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. His life was always available to you, right? But there was a point in your life where you needed to make the decision, you needed to apply that and go, oh, okay, I I repent. God, forgive me of my sin. And then what happened? God forgave you. He released life to you. But you were creating the barrier before you repented. Does that make sense? Are we clear on that? Let me just go over that again because I I need you to get this because it's a really important point. Is that Jesus is saying, unless you actually surrender your agenda, my life can't come to you. There are things that God cannot do. That sounds controversial, doesn't it? But it's not controversial because he's given you sovereignty over your life. He's given you your choice. So if you use your choice to turn your back on God and go do your own thing, God won't intervene in your life. He'll go, okay, I want to bring my life to you, but until you open your life to me, it won't happen. You've got to remove the barrier. And the barrier is your own agenda, your selfish ways. And Jesus modeled to the disciples what it looks like to have a life that was completely surrendered to his Father. Every day, Every moment of every day, Jesus just goes, God, what are we doing today? Let's do that. Imagine if you lived your life like that. You don't have an agenda of what you did do for the day. You just go, God, I'm, I'm doing your agenda. And, and Jesus willingly did that. Now, for those who are very theologically astute, you might push back on that a little bit and go, there was a time that Jesus didn't do that. And I would say, yes, let's have a look at that time. And it would be the Garden of Gethsemane. Where just before he goes to the cross, Jesus goes, 
please take this cup from me. You know, I don't want to die. You know, <laughs> which you kind of get. You know, like um, you know, Jesus wakes up that morning and the father goes, "Hey, now by the way, you're going to be tortured and killed today." And and Jesus goes, "Um." You know, every other day, you know, I was cool, but today, can we, can, can we just time out? Can we just negotiate this one a little bit? But I would say, actually, this incident, this situation actually proves my point. Because what does Jesus do in that prayer as he's wrestling with it? He doesn't try and change God's mind, like we often do. We have our agenda and we try and change God's mind. No, no, no. What Jesus does is he goes, this is what I, I really don't want to do this, but your will be done. He surrenders his agenda for God's greater good. And then what happens? Redemption, not only life for him, not only is he resurrected from death, but it releases life to all of humanity. Notice the principle, the spiritual principle that's going on here is that in our surrender, God's life is released. In your surrender of your life, God's life is released to you in your life. And actually, God's life is released to those around you as well. There is a very powerful principle in Scripture where, where surrender open, it removes the barrier for God's life to flow in you and around you. Paul picks up this idea in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, Therefore, and what he means by that in the last 11 chapters of Romans where he establishes who you are as a child of God and all the blessings that come with that, the faith, the, the life that you live now in Christ. Therefore, out of all of that, what is our response to that? Our response, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace towards you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. How did Jesus know the will of God? He knew the will of God because he walked in surrender. How will you know the will of God? When you walk in surrender. Not in the way of the world around you, but in submission to God. Our agenda is the greatest barrier to God's blessing. But it also, when we remove it, it frees up God's life to come to us. Think about... Um, let me give you a couple of examples of this. Think about when someone's offended you. You know, when... You, you just got offside with someone and you just, it's just, you're just going, oh man, it's just, this person is just so frustrating and it, it, you just, anger starts to build in your life. And you bring that to God in prayer. And, and as you're praying it through, I don't know if you've, you've been there, and I've been there, I've done that, and I've been processing this with God. God, what can I do to put this situation right? And what God works on in that moment is he goes, Warren, will you let it go? Will you surrender this offence? And I'm going, oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fighting it. I know from experience now that as I lay it down, 
as I surrender that offence, as I surrender my need to be justified in that situation, that God's forgiveness comes, that God's love comes, that God's peace comes. Actually, God's empowerment comes for me to restore that relationship with that person. Right? Now, did God... Hear me, what I'm saying here. Did God always want to give me that empowerment, give me that release, give me that peace, restore that relationship? Absolutely. But I needed to surrender first for that to happen. Do you, do you see where I'm going with that? Surrender is the key. Here's, here's another one. It's like maybe you, you're looking to God for something, a need in your life. Maybe you need a job or maybe you need money. Maybe you're looking for that, that life partner that you've always been searching for. And as I've um, pastorally work, walked that journey with people where they're desperately seeking something in their lives, something big like that, I, that I, I see it over and over again. It's not until they come to that place where they go, God, I give it all to you. I'm not trying to control this anymore. I'll let you take control. And then it's like it all happens. It all just comes together. There's a phone call comes in out of the blue or a contact's made or they meet that amazing girl or whatever. You know, it, it, God works. Why? Because they've surrendered. Another example is um, I, I talk to people and pray with people about what is God calling them to do? What, like what, is, what has God got for them? And they try different things, and it's great. I, I love the passion and enthusiasm that people in this church have to serve God and be willing to do what God has called them to do. That's fantastic. But hear me really clearly. If it is your agenda, God will never bless it. But if you surrender and you say, God, I'll do whatever you've called me to do. Now that's a courageous prayer. But when you pray that prayer and you offer that heart of surrender, you will know an empowerment for ministry beyond what you can imagine. Why? Because it all goes back to this principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew 16. If you lay down your life, you, your life is released to you. The key is surrender. And we need to understand the other important thing that we need to wrap our heads around in this is the spiritual dynamics that are happening when we surrender to Christ. See, God is not the only spiritual power that's seeking to influence your life. Satan is also looking for that opportunity. And he will take that opportunity whenever he can. Now, yes, you are a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have the power and authority to choose what you permit spiritually in your life or not. And if you choose God, it will be God that influences your life. But if you choose to not surrender and keep control for yourself, you're literally giving permission to Satan to have control. Now, I know some of you will push back on that a little bit and go, whoa, hang on, that's overstating it a bit, Warren. Isn't there, isn't there some neutral territory? You know, where I'm not kind of in Satan's territory, I'm not in God's territory, I'm just kind of in neutral territory, you know. Show me where that is in Scripture. Because I don't see it. <laughs> it's just not there. There is no middle space in Scripture. Uh, literally in our choices and our heart choices, when we are surrendering 
our lives to something, when we're giving allegiance to something, when we are working out our priorities in our lives, we are literally heading more towards Satan's camp or more towards God's camp every day. Every choice. So, just as the spiritual principle is that when we surrender to God, we give permission. The spiritual world works by permission. And you, if you give permission to God, God goes, I will release my life to you. When you repent, when you forgive, when you do those things, when, when you surrender, his life flows to you. Now, the equal and opposite is true. Just giving you fair warning on this. Our unwillingness to surrender to God is literally choosing to follow Satan in his ways. Choosing to come under bondage. Choosing a way of destruction rather than a way of life. And your approach to prayer is, is wrapped up in all of this. If you come with this attitude in prayer where you go, okay, God, here's my agenda. This is what I want. This is, this is what you need to give me. That's a, like, I now see that as offensive to God. That demanding, entitled attitude. Now, I, I know some of you might go, whoa, hang on a minute, does that mean you can't ask for God for anything? Absolutely ask God. Matthew 7 is very clear that God is like our Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So come and ask, but come and ask with the right attitude. Many of us are parents, and we know what it's like to be asked by, with the right attitude from our kids. You know, they, they come to you and go, oh, Dad, can, you know, it would be all right, it would be great, could I have this? And you go, yeah, okay, you come with humility. But if they come and go, now, you, you've got to give this to me, you kind of go, you know, you'll get out of here, see you later, you know. What God is looking for as we come to him in prayer is humility. It's a heart of surrender. It's a heart of giving our lives. It's a heart that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, it's your will, it's not my will. It's a heart that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not my will, your will. I, it, it's so important that we internalize this principle today. We internalize the principle that surrender releases life. An unwillingness to surrender, a, a need where we try and hold on to it ourselves, means that we stay in bondage. We actually allow Satan to influence our lives. We actually come under his influence and his power. Ephesians 4 says, you know, it talks about anger and it says, you know, don't, don't stay angry. Why? Because you give the devil a foothold. The image there is that you're trying to keep the devil out of your house, but you literally left the door ajar, and he's got his foot in, and he's just trying to work his way in. Don't give permission to that which is not of God. Give permission to that which is of God, that is his life. And how you do that is coming to prayer with an attitude of surrender, with an attitude of humility. And it's all in the context of a relationship with God. This isn't sort of um, this isn't a formula. So let, let me just be really clear on this. Don't just go, go okay, yeah, Warren's 
taught me, I'm convinced that this is what we see in Scripture, is that we approach God with surrender. So, okay, I'll, 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 I've surrendered everything. Okay, now God, you need to do this. No, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's a relationship where you're coming and you're saying, God, it's all about you. It's not about me. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Shadowlands, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's a, one of those must-watch movies. I'm a big fan of a guy called C.S. Lewis. Who's, uh, um, he, he passed away many years ago now, but he do, he's done some amazing writings, including the um, Chronicles of Narnia. And um, the Shadowlands, the, the movie, is about his life, and he was, he was called Jack by his friends. And there's this scene in Shadowlands where... Uh, Jack's been praying for something, that uh, a breakthrough in his life. And uh, a good friend of his is the vicar of the church. And um, the vicar comes along and says to Jack, he says, Jack, isn't that great that God has answered your prayer? I know you've been praying earnestly for so long, um, and it must be because of your earnest prayers that God has noticed that and he's answered your prayers. And C.S. Lewis says, Jack's reply to that comment is so powerful and so amazing. He says, my prayers don't change God. My prayers change me. What is C.S. Lewis saying there? He's saying, no, no, no. I can't talk God into anything. And God doesn't, you know, prayer isn't, God doesn't do things. He doesn't reward me based on how good my prayers are or how long my prayers are. No, 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 prayer. Prayer is this place where God changes me, where I start to be more conformed into who God has called me to be. Praying isn't about getting what we want. It's about God shaping you into the person he's called you to be. And when you are that person, when you are becoming closer to who he purposed you to be, who he created you to be, who he's shaping you to be, then every day you'll walk with him and you'll walk in his purposes and you'll do incredible things. You'll know his will. You'll walk in his will. It will be obvious to you. But it's not because of how fancy your prayers are or how long your prayers are. It's about what God is doing in you. It's about him changing you. And he will change you when you give him permission. And you give him permission through surrender. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.